Lecture 11, What is a Superstition and Who is Superstitious? Welcome back to the Science of Irrationality. Uh, this time I'm going to change the, the topic considerably, and actually for the next few lectures, we're going to talk about superstition, a specific kind of irrational behavior, uh, and, uh, and I, I hope that you enjoy it. It's a specialty area of mine. So, uh, historically, the word superstition has meant uh, something like bad religion. Uh, the original version of the word uh, was a Greek word, desidaimonia, which, when it was first introduced, actually had a, a positive uh, connotation. It meant scrupulously pious, or sort of very uh, uh, religious. Uh, not extremely so, but, but, but just, you know, appropriately scrupulous about religion. And, and, but very soon after that, uh, it changed its, its meaning. It, it was changed to mean, initially, uh, overly religious and fearful of the gods. And in the Greek the Greek world and the Roman world that followed, the gods were not thought to be something that you had to be particularly fearful of. But the superstitious, the person who might be labeled desidaimonia, uh, would, would, would be someone who uh, was overly religious, had to do many rituals and, and uh, practices before even setting out for the day. And, uh, and this was not a good thing. In, in the Greek world, of course, moderation was always valued, and it seemed like uh, this was a, this was a bad, bad thing, to be that fearful of the gods, overly fearful. Uh, the, the Romans uh, adopted the same concept. The word that they used was superstitio, and, but it, their initial meaning of it was the same, was overly fearful of the gods. But obviously, superstitio is the word that later became our superstition. So it meant uh, bad religion in the sense of overly fearful of the gods and overly uh, uh, concerned with, with uh, uh, what might, bad things that might happen. Uh, but it eventually was, a, it was used to attack people of different religions. So it became bad religion in the sense of your religion is bad, mine is good. Uh, for example, in the early years of Christianity, the Romans, who of course had their, their panoply of gods, uh, called the Christians superstitious because their, their beliefs and practices were strange. Uh, now, of course, later Christianity uh, took over the Roman world and, and converted uh, and so what was interesting was that, that the term superstition was then pointed back in the opposite direction. Uh, after the, after the, uh, the Roman Empire became a Christian empire, uh, the, anyone who clinged to the old pagan gods, they would now call them pagan gods, uh, was considered superstitious. So, so it has gone back and forth being uh, used to mean uh, bad religion, uh, until, of course, the Enlightenment, when, when uh, science and reason uh, became much more important, where philosophy was separated out from religion or thought it could be for the first time. 
And at that point, science became the standard, not religion. And so, uh, so starting uh, in, in the Enlightenment and later, 17th, 18th, 19th centuries, uh, superstition meant bad science, something that was inconsistent with science, and that is, that is the general meaning that persists to this day. Uh, so let's see if we can define superstition. I, I have proposed a, a definition that is fairly broad, uh, but useful. And, uh, and so the first characteristic of uh, something that must be uh, met in order to be superstition is that it's unsupported by science. And so the assumption is that uh, you should know that what is scientific and what is not and that if this belief is not consistent with our understanding of science, then it's likely to be a superstition. In addition to that, though, uh, typically superstitions have an instrumental aspect to them. So, so it's, it's not just a belief that's inconsistent with science. It's a belief that you hope will bring you good luck or avoid bad luck. And so those are the two primary uh, characteristics of a superstition, um, but there are some limitations that I think are fair to place on use of it. It is let's let's be clear from from almost the very beginning until today, it does have a pejorative uh, aspect to it. It is not it, you know people don't brag about being superstitious. It's it's not something we strive for typically. It's something we admit to, and so. Uh, it's probably not a good idea, for example, to apply it to children. Uh, young children have not yet been indoctrinated into the ways of what's scientific and what is not, and there's a lot of magic and so forth in children's literature and films. So uh, it's not something we should ascribe to children. It's also true that traditional societies that have not adopted Western science it's not fair to call them superstitious either. They are doing what they can with what they have. With limits for children and people from traditional cultures, uh, we have a basic definition of superstition. Uh, We would say that it is typically irrational in the epistemic sense, in the sense that, that your beliefs are not not rational. They're not grounded in evidence the way we like them to be if you're, if you're going to be epistemically rational. Um, and as a result, uh, superstition is not typically the best way to get your goals, although we'll talk about that a little bit more later on. Uh, it's also, the definition that I'm proposing is also broad, and so it's going to include some things that are pro- that you may not initially think of as being superstitions, but I, I would say they are. And those include uh, astrology, uh, homeopathy, and also psychics, going to psychics. Uh, it is the case that if you simply believe in something like ghosts or, or that there is such a thing as uh, psychic ability— but you don't do anything about those, then, then they're not really superstitions, they're just paranormal beliefs. And so paranormal beliefs I would consider to be a larger category, uh, and, and superstition falls within that uh, as uh, the pragmatic beliefs that you might have, 
things that you do to try to bring around good luck or bad, or avoid bad. So we can also categorize superstitions a little bit to help us think about them. And uh, thankfully, a psychologist named Gustav Yehoda, uh, back in the 70s, wrote an early book on the psychology of superstition, and he proposed some categories that I think are quite useful uh, to think about this topic. One is socially shared superstitions, and these are the kinds of superstitions that we all know about, like black cats, uh, walking under ladders, the number 13. Uh, These are superstitions that you've learned from other people, and that's why they're called socially shared. Uh, You learned them as you were growing up. A second category that uh, Yehoda uses is the occult beliefs of individuals. So this is things like believing that there is extrasensory perception, for example, or other paranormal things. Um, We're probably not going to consider those superstitions unless they have that pragmatic aspect to them. Um, And then finally, an important third category that he uses is personal superstitions. So quite apart from black hats and the number seven and and all those common superstitions uh, are uh, personal superstitions, like the idea that you have a lucky tie or you have a lucky coin that you keep in your pocket. Uh, these are superstitions that, that you have established on your own. Uh, it might be the case that you had to be brought up in a superstitious household or somehow have the door open to superstitious belief in order to have even these kind, but but these are, these are unique superstitions to you that you wouldn't necessarily uh, suggest to other people use, but, but they are nonetheless uh, your superstitions. And those are quite common, of course, um, and uh, we'll talk about them more. So maybe we should ask the question of how prevalent are superstitions? Well, as fascinating as we think this topic is, the pollsters have not asked this question very often. But there have been some polls that suggest that it's fairly common. Uh, In 2012, CBS News did a poll of adults in the United States and found that only 53% of those people polled said they were not at all superstitious. So that means 47% thought they were to some degree. Uh, And in that same poll, 19% said they were somewhat or very superstitious. So that's a pretty good-sized subgroup of of Americans. Uh, Another, this is one of my favorite Gallup polls that has been done on this topic, was done in 2007, and it was about hotel rooms. And and it it discovered that 13% of Americans, 13% of Americans, said they would be bothered if they were given a room on the 13th floor of a hotel. So I thought that was pretty nice coincidence that the, that the two came together. Uh, and in that same poll, 9% of the people polled said that they would be bothered enough that they would ask for another room, for a, different, a room on a different floor. So now you understand why elevators, especially in hotels and other commercial buildings, frequently do not have a 13th floor, or, or at least they try to trick us into believing that they don't have a 13th floor. They do have a 13th floor. They just label it 14 in most cases. A 2014 Harris poll of U.S. adults 
uh, looked at some specific superstitions and found that 33% said that finding and picking up a penny was good luck. 23% said that seven was a lucky number. 21% said that knocking on wood prevents bad luck. And 14% said Friday the 13th was an unlucky day. So good sized, not, not over half for any of them, but good sized percentages for all of those. Uh, superstition is, is uh, common elsewhere as well. Uh, I have a, results from a 2007 marketing poll in the United Kingdom, and uh, 22% considered themselves superstitious in that poll. They also asked about some specific superstitions that are kind of interesting. Uh, one of the more common ones involved uh, seeing a magpie. Uh, 25% of UK respondents said they, quote, do something after seeing a magpie. Uh, what they did was probably cross themselves or pray or, or say something to the magpie. Uh, and the reason for this, it's not a familiar superstition for most Americans, but the reason for this comes from a, a nursery rhyme that says, one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy. And it's about seeing different groups of magpies. And as you can imagine, the one for sorrow is, a, is, a, is supposed to be a bad luck of seeing a single magpie. And that's why they, they do something to take off the curse. Uh, 22% of these UK respondents said that they did something after spilling salt, which was probably, probably uh, tossing some over their shoulder. And 24%, 24% of adults in this survey said they had visited a psychic at one time or another. Superstition happens. There are people who are out there believing in it, uh, even as we speak. Uh, there, I can also say a little bit about the demographics of superstition. There, there are not a lot of good data on this, but there is some. Uh, uh, you may have guessed that women tend to be more superstitious than men. One way that you can see that in everyday life is if you pick up a women's magazine you'll notice that women's magazines frequently have horoscope columns or astrology columns in them, whereas men's magazines, not so much. Uh, and so there may be reasons for this, uh, which we can get into later, but, but uh, the women tend to be a bit more superstitious than men in general. Uh, as far as age is concerned, the latest data suggests that younger adults are more, more superstitious than older adults. There is, there is a tendency uh, for people, it appears, there's a tendency for people to get a little bit less superstitious, more skeptical as they grow older. Uh, but at the moment, for example, uh, the, the millennial group is supposedly seeing an upsurge in interest in astrology, for example. Uh, in the, as far as politics are concerned, uh, both in the UK and in the, in the US, uh, there's, a, there's a tendency for liberals to be more superstitious than conservatives. It uh, holds up in both countries. As far as education is concerned, um, they're, they're, the data is kind of fuzzy on whether education itself has an impact, but there is an, a suggestion that your college major makes a difference. That, as you might imagine, Scientists, science, the people who go into the sciences or psychology are less superstitious, and p 
people who are major in the humanities or the arts tend to be somewhat more superstitious. There also are a lot of uh, traditionally superstitious subgroups, which you may be aware of. Athletes are very superstitious. Uh, American baseball players are particularly superstitious subgroup. Uh, People in the theater are known to have some theater-related superstitions, like uh, not whistling backstage is supposed to be bad luck to whistle backstage, and not mentioning the name of the Scottish play, which, of course, is Macbeth. I've just mentioned it. Uh, And uh, those are all things that are supposed to be bad luck. Um, The One of the more interesting subgroups that I discovered when I got into this was that college students have superstitions, uh, specifically with respect to exams. They have exam-related superstitions. They may wear certain kinds of clothes to an exam. They may listen to a special song before taking an exam. Uh, They may have jewelry or other charms that they bring. Uh, uh, Completely unknown to me until I started to study this. Of course, gamblers are very superstitious. If you've ever gone to a casino, especially if you go to a bingo uh, parlor in a casino, you'll see that there are all sorts of charms spread out on the table uh, around the bingo cards, that people have uh, lucky charms that they use. Uh, But also, uh, sailors have traditionally had a number of superstitions uh, about their profession, which of course is quite dangerous and may explain why. Uh, And there are others as well. But these are a couple of groups that you once you enter the group, you are socialized into its, its unique superstitions, and they're part of the lore of that occupation or, or activity. Um, when you become a baseball player, you learn very shortly that if the pitcher has a no-hitter going, you do not talk to the pitcher. You never mention the no-hitter hitter at all because that's unlucky and creates a kind of jinx. There's also some data on the uh, personality of people who are superstitious. One of the things that psychologists like to do is to study personality and how we differ uh, on various dimensions. The most popular view of personality at the moment among psychologists is that we have several lasting traits that, that we are either high or low on these traits, and they predict how we will behave in various situations and over time as well. So they're, they're thought to be consistent uh, traits. And the most popular theory involves five traits, uh, and they are extroversion, conscientiousness, openness to experience, agreeableness, and neuroticism. And so People are either high or low on each of those dimensions, and that's how people are separated out. Uh, Other traits have also been studied for clinical purposes uh, and and other reasons. And in the case of superstition, the personality traits that have been identified as being related to being superstitious are are sort of a collection of things you wouldn't want to have. Uh, They tend to be things like anxiety, depression, neuroticism, and fear of death. So there's a lot of anxiety involved in the personality dimensions related to being superstitious. But the good news, as far as these things are concerned, is that the relationship 
of these dimensions with superstition is quite weak. Uh, it, it, it's not enough to be anxious. Uh, you have to have other experiences. It does not explain entirely why you would be superstitious. So, so the, it's, it's, uh, it's not a collection of good traits, but, but the relationship is quite weak. Uh, I should not go much further without avoiding to mention the topic of control. So the purpose of being superstitious or having a superstition is, in most cases, to gain control. If we had complete control over our lives and our worlds, we wouldn't have any need for superstition. And I can illustrate this point most obviously in the case of baseball uh, and athlete superstitions. It is the case that uh, athletes, baseball players, are very superstitious. Part of that is because the game is so slow that there is time for them to be doing other things to fill the time, and sometimes that's a superstitious ritual. Um, but the, the, uh, the most interesting part of this for us is that there are many superstitions about batting, uh, the activity of trying to get a hit, and there are very few about fielding. There are no, very few superstitions about catching the ball in the field. The reason for that is that when a ball is hit to a player in the field, it, the likelihood of them getting the ball is quite high. There are very few mistakes in the field. If you, if you watch a game, you'll notice that. Uh, and, and yet batting is an extremely uh, chancy operation. If you're going to be the best hitter in the, in the league, one of the best hitters in the league, you only need to get a hit 30% of the time. Uh, so that means that 70% of the time you're not getting a hit. At the same time, if you, get, if you hit at 20%, you're actually not a very good hitter. So there's a narrow band there. It's very difficult to hit. It's a much more, more uh, risky operation. It's not going to succeed very often. And batters don't have control over the situation. So, so there are many superstitions about batting uh, that, uh, and very few about fielding. And it is in those situations where we lack control, where, where there's quite a bit at stake when we want something to happen that's important, but we can't make it happen. Those are the circumstances in which superstition is most likely to occur. So, uh, so for example, if you think about the actor in the theater, you know, you're, you're in the situation where making a mistake is going to be extremely embarrassing. It's going to happen in front of hundreds of people. Uh, if you think about the sailor going out to sea, there's a lot of danger involved, and it's unclear whether you will get home safely. I want to finish up by talking about the relationship between control and anxiety. Control, as I've said, is very important in, in superstition, and it, it emerges in those circumstances where the stakes are high, something important needs to happen or to be avoided, and where there's a lack of control. And I've also mentioned that anxiety uh, is, a, is related to superstition. Uh, but anxiety can come in two forms. It can be anxiety that's within you, and that's what psychologists call trait anxiety. It can also be anxiety that comes more from the outside, is imposed upon you, and is therefore state anxiety. And, and so it's not going to be permanent. It'll just be a, a, a nature of the situation you're in. And that anxiety can also create 
the need or the exhibition of superstition. So I can illustrate this with an with a interesting study that was conducted by a psychologist named Giora Keenan, who conducted a study during the first Gulf War uh, when, when Iraq was uh, sending missiles into Israel. And Keenan was in Israel at the time, and, and he noticed that uh, some missiles were hitting their targets in some cities, that, in particular Tel Aviv, whereas other missiles tended not to reach their targets when directed towards Jerusalem. So there was a difference between these two cities with respect to the threat of the missiles. Uh, in addition, he noticed that there were some interesting superstitions that cropped up during this period. Uh, during that time, you may recall that uh, there was a fear that the, that the missiles would have poison gas in them. So people created within their homes a sealed room that was all sealed off, and during a, a strike, they would run into their sealed room and, and stay there just to be sure that the gas would not get to them. Well, a number of superstitions cropped up with respect to these sealed rooms, and uh, Keenan jumped on that, that situation and did a study on the spot. And what he discovered was uh, he went door-to-door asking people about their sealed rooms and about their superstitions. Some of the superstitions that people had were that, for example, you should always step into your sealed room with your right foot first. Uh, and another one was that if someone's house had been hit by a missile, then it would be unlucky to let them come into your sealed room in your house, as if they might bring that bad luck with them. And these were very common superstitions that, that were talked about on television and people knew about. And so he went door to door asking people about their superstitions and also measuring their level of anxiety. Uh, and, uh, and he did it in Tel Aviv and in Jerusalem. And what he discovered, as you might imagine, is that anxiety levels were higher in Tel Aviv and they also were doing more superstitions about their sealed rooms. So the two went together. And in, in Jerusalem, it was the opposite uh, less superstitions and lower levels of anxiety. So uncertainty and uh, anxiety are a major parts of uh, superstition, and when the stakes are high, that's when it's most likely to occur.